Hey, today we're going to be looking at Luke 16. Now, the first few verses of Luke 16 have so many things that's relevant to our current context today. So I can't wait to talk to you about that. But before we do that, we need to go back a few chapters to give you some context. Now, in Luke 14, Jesus is invited to this banquet. And this banquet is filled with rich people, these religious rulers. And as he looks to his left and his right, looks across the table, he starts to realize that these people who are sitting with him are people who are rich and wealthy because of the gifts that God has given them. Whether if it's the family they were born into, the gifts and talents that they have, or the connections that they have. Now, what really makes Jesus angry is that these people were given these gifts so that they could bless the community around them, the very people who are not in that banquet. So being angry, Jesus gets up, he leaves the banquet, and he goes outside. Now we're in Luke chapter 15. Jesus is outside hanging out with the very people that these religious people were supposed to be taking care of. And as these religious people come outside and see Jesus hanging out with the tax collectors and sinners, they start criticizing him. So Jesus turns his back on the poor people and looks at the rich people and gives them three parables. Now these parables are basically saying, you religious people, you will never ever be a part of God's movement. You will never participate in bringing heaven on earth. Why? Well, it's because you don't have the same heart that God has. As long as you keep thinking that you're better than these people over here, there's no way that you're going to be in the kingdom of God. Now that Jesus has put the religious people, the Pharisees, in their place, he now turns to his disciples and teaches them a few lessons about how not to become like them. So that's where we pick up on Luke chapter 16. So let's take a look at that chapter. Jesus told his disciples, There was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his positions. So he called him and asked him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be my manager any longer. Now, before we move on with this story, there's a few things I want to go over with you because there's some cultural context stuff here that we need to know for us to understand what's happening. The first thing is that there's a master who's extremely wealthy and then there is a, there's a manager who is about to get fired. Now, this manager is most likely a slave. Now, a slave back then is somebody who's financially indebted to somebody and the only way they could pay them back is by working it off. Now, we also know back then is that some people prefer to be slaves than to being a free person in Israel because in most cases, being a slave of a wealthy person is a better lifestyle than a person who is not. And as a matter of fact, if you don't have any skills like farming, then you would much rather be a slave to a wealthy person. And we're going to find out later on this story that this man, this manager, he doesn't know how to work the ground and he's not even good at begging. The scene here so far is we have a master and we have a manager and the manager is about to lose his job and when he loses his job, he won't be able to support himself. He's going to be homeless. Okay, let's move on with this story. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. Oh, I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So at this point, the manager is like, I need to make a decision right now. I'm entering into a crisis and my next decision is gonna secure my future. What am I supposed to do? Let's find out. So he called in each of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? Well, 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. Now, pay attention to that word olive oil. We'll come back to that in a second. 
the manager told him, well, take her bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450. So he slashed it in half. Then he asked the second, how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. Now he said wheat there, we'll come back to that also. So he told him, take your bill and make it 800. Okay, so this is what's happening so far in the story. The manager, upon finding out that he's gonna be fired and possibly homeless, he decides to sit down with his master's clients and basically give them a discount on the things that they owe the master. So what's really happening here? Well, in order for us to find out, we have to do a little more digging, and this is what we find out. Both the master and the managers are Jews. And what that means is that they're both expected to follow the rules of the Old Testament. Now, one of those rules in the Old Testament found in Exodus 22 is it basically says, if I were to lend you some money, you are not allowed to charge interest. But what if you wanted to make money off the people who are poor? What, what would you do? Well, what you would do is instead of lending money, you will lend them these two things, olive oil and also wheat. And so as long as it's not money that he's lending out, he's able to charge interest. This is his way around that law. In other words, the master has made his money off the backs of the poor. He is a dishonest businessman. So in essence, what the manager is offering to his clients right now is you no longer have to pay back the interest, just the principal. You only owe what you originally borrowed. Now by doing this one thing, the manager is able to accomplish three amazing feats. The first thing he's able to do is that without even the master knowing, he's able to create a good reputation for the master. The master now has a reputation of being the most generous guy in his village. Now the second thing he's able to do is in case the master finds out about this and wants to get even with the manager, if he were to come after the manager, that means that he would have to somehow reveal to his village that he was actually a dishonest businessman. So now the manager is protected. And the third thing that he was able to accomplish, and it's the most important one for the manager, is that when he is now fired, he can make sure that he has friends. He has a place to stay. Now, eventually the master finds out what the manager has been doing behind his back this whole time. And so he goes and confronts him. And what he says here to the manager is not what I expected him to say. So let's take a look here, verse eight. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. In other words, the master says, yeah, I'm not even angry at what you did. Uh, that was actually genius. I mean, you're still fired, but good job. That was, that was genius. Now, that's the end of this parable. And if you're like me, you are probably confused. And the reason that you and I would be confused about this parable is because we're used to interpreting parables allegorically. Now, what that means is you look for main characters in the story, and then you try to substitute those characters with who it might be representing. So in this case, you would say, oh, the master is probably God. But then you'd be confused because you're like, wait a minute, but God is not a dishonest businessman. So who does the master represent? Or if you think that the manager represents us, then you would think, so is Jesus telling us that we could make dishonest gains as long as we're really shrewd about it? You see, this parable is not an allegorical parable. So Jesus gives us commentary right after this to help us along. This is what he says. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself, so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. 
So what does he mean by all this? So Jesus gives us two categories here. He says that there is a group called the people of the world, and then there's the people called the people of the light. Now the people of this world are the people who don't take God that seriously. These are the people who are considered to be secular. Now the people of this world, Jesus says, that when they enter into a crisis, they know how to work the system. They get really, really creative, and they're able to come out on the other side with conclusions that are sometimes in line with what God wants them to do. So in this instance, the manager, after going through this crisis, he realized that money is temporary. He realized that he could be rich today and poor tomorrow. So with the little time that he had left, he decided to invest what he had into friendships because he realized that friendships are eternal. Wrong motivation, but the right outcome. Now in contrast, we have the people of the light. These people are the Pharisees, the religious people, the people who've been belittling the people who are sinners and tax collectors. Now when they enter into a crisis, they do the exact opposite. They try to honor God, but the way they honor God is by making sure that everybody falls in line with their rules. They're trying to make everybody righteous. So as a result, the end product is not what God desires. They have a world where the people who can't get things together are pushed out of the kingdom of God, only keeping the righteous elite at the center. So this is what Jesus is trying to illustrate for us. We have a group of people who have the wrong intentions but end up in the right, and then we have a group of people who have the right intentions but end up in the wrong. And now Jesus is calling his followers to be a third way. Now Jesus is saying, now if you want to be a follower of me, you have to be the group of people who have the right intentions and the right outcome. So what Jesus is saying here is this, in times of crisis, be generous with their resources, not because you want to save yourself, but because you are driven by love. In other words, when the church enters into crisis mode, like the one we're in right now, it's not a time for us to retreat and retract, but it's actually a time for us to get creative in ways of building new relationships with our neighbors, with the people that we lost touch with. It's a time for us to love on people more than we ever did before. Jesus is asking us, in this pandemic, do we see this as an opportunity to get creative and love on our neighbors? You see, I've been taught for a long time that storms, they, they build character. But over time, I've discovered the opposite is also true, that storms reveal character. And when we look through the scriptures to see how the first generation Christians, how they reacted to storms, these things that they can't control, we see that they're their Christ-likeness starts to spill out. They start taking care of widows. They start becoming more generous. And so I thought, I wonder if I'm like that in this situation, which leads me to this story. So a few months ago, uh, around the time when this pandemic thing was starting to become more and more mainstream, I remember going to the grocery store and walking up and down the aisles. And because that was my duty at the time, it was my job to get groceries for the family. I was going up and down the aisles until I came to the aisle with toilet paper. There was one toilet paper pack left and there was two women who were fighting over it. And because I wanted to avoid it, I walked around that aisle to the next one. Meanwhile, I was thinking, wow, this pandemic is real. Then I saw one of the women run to the back to where the public restroom is and she grabbed the big kind of toilet paper that's used for the public restroom. She grabbed that and ran out the store with it. Now, that day on my drive home, naturally I started thinking, wow, toilet paper is as valuable as gold right now. So when I got home, I told my story to my family and I told them, 
You guys have to be diligent and not wasting toilet paper. We gotta take care of whatever we have left. Now the following week, I went to a different grocery store and as I approached the toilet paper aisle, I found a few packs left. So I grabbed one, I put it in the shopping cart, I ran to the front to the cash register, I paid for it, I covered it with my jacket because I didn't want anybody to see that I had it. I ran to my car, I drove home, I showed it to my kids, and I gloated about the story a little bit by embellishing it, saying like, oh, I fought off five people to get this pack of toilet paper, and we celebrated. I told them that this family is gonna be fine for the next month. But it's at that point that I felt that God was revealing to me who I really was. I discovered that I am the kind of person that when I enter into a crisis, I go into hoarding mode. I hoard onto toilet paper, paper towels, groceries, canned foods, I, you name it. I try to hold on to as much as I can. You see, what I should have done was after I brought the toilet paper home, I should have taught my kids, we're gonna hold on to half of it and the other half we're gonna give away to our neighbors. You see, we don't know our neighbors that well because we just moved in here. This would have been the perfect opportunity for me to build a friendship, a long-lasting friendship with my neighbor. But, Westlight, I heard many stories about you. I heard that some of you are losing your jobs, some of you have taken pay cuts, some of you are trying to get hired but they're not hiring right now, that we're in really tough times right now. But I've heard that during this time, you have been generous, that you have been dropping off food at neighbors' homes, that you've been delivering care packages to people that you barely know. I've heard stories of you sewing together not just some cheap-looking mask, but some beautifully designed masks and handing them to people who really need it. I've heard stories of you sending emails and letters to people to let them know that, that they are still on your mind. I've heard of people setting up Netflix viewing parties to let people know that they're still part of the community. I've heard stories of you sharing your favorite recipes with your friends, and I've heard stories of you just picking groceries for people who need it. Just this week, I heard that some of you got in your cars, decorated it, drove past a house in parade fashion just to wish that person a happy birthday. And the list goes on and on and on and on. Westlight, I love our church. You have not looked at this situation as a crisis and wished to retreat into. But instead, you looked at it as an opportunity to build and strengthen relationships. I know that God is smiling upon you. So, brothers and sisters, may the Spirit continue to inspire you to be creative in building relationships that last forever. And may you continue to fix your eyes on things that are eternal and not on things that only benefit yourself temporarily. And through that, may God continue to bring heaven on earth through you. God bless.